Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to Flip This with Steve Londo, the real estate investing podcast that focuses on finding and negotiating with motivated sellers and flipping houses without using banks or private lenders. You must be prepared to ignite. I get dropped, but I'm right back there. I'm gonna fight. 
What up? How's it going? Flip this podcast back in your life on this Wednesday afternoon when we're recording. Jeremy's trying to fix some camera issues. What up? Sorry about that. Apparently it's not working. But y'all ain't seeing any videos anyway, so really, it is what it is. Dimitri, get on your shit. As always, I'm your host, Steve Londo, alongside Jeremy Burgess, who you just heard. He's trying to fix our technical issues there. But welcome, my friends, enemies, frenemies, all of you motherfuckers. Flip this podcast. This is the real estate investing podcast that teaches you how to find and negotiate with motivated sellers to flip houses without using banks or private lenders. Uh, again, I'm Steve Londo, and I'm a full-time wholesaler flipping houses in Detroit and the suburbs. Uh, if you don't know what wholesaling is, it is when you go out and find someone that wants to sell their house. You lock it up, put it, put it under contract for, say, thirty grand, and then you go out and find someone, market that property for uh, a new buyer, find someone that will buy it from you for, say, forty grand. You assign your contract to that buyer, and you make the profit in between. Pretty sweet, risk-free, great way to uh, break into real estate investing, as they say, but it is a lot of hard work. And to get what we're going to get into in our next segment here, it takes a lot of hard work to get deals. We love deals. Deals. You I got deals, too. Two for you this week we got a brand spanking new baby deal fresh out of the womb we'll get to that one in a moment but i got a big price drop for you now this property's only gone out to my list one time and i have gotten responses on it i've had showings on it but i need it gone i don't want showings i don't want fucking emails with questions and conversations i want action i want sales i want this property gone this property that I'm speaking of is 2245 Glen in Detroit, 48206. This is Boston Edison's backyard. Literally, the street Glen runs right behind Boston Boulevard, uh, which is the Boston Edison Historic District. Now, this is not technically Boston Edison. Um, however, how many Boston Edison homes can you buy for twenty grand? Is that it? 20, 20 grand. These are used U.S. dollars? U.S. American dollars. 20,000 of them will take this house. Is that Zimbabwe dollars? No, I don't. I don't that might be like 50,000. Actually, I don't know the conversion. I won't ask for that. I'll have some math guy. Billion. Actually, the conversion is. Shut up. 20,000 American dollars. Cash. Uh, I'll, I'll take Bitcoin. I'll take. Well, I won't take all 20 grand in Bitcoin. However, I will take your EMD in Bitcoin. Uh, but seriously, it's a five-bedroom, two-and-a-half bath, uh, huge brick house, 2,500 square feet. It's got a basement. It's got a garage. It does need a lot of work, um, but for twenty grand, you are going to be all into this thing for 50 to 55 and you're going to have a beautiful home that's worth probably eighty or 85000 This is a great area. It's an appreciating area. This is an area that you um, – are definitely going to see some appreciation and this isn't a speculating type thing this is real uh real comps from literally two weeks ago and um yeah this is a smoking deal and i just lowered the price three grand for you guys 
20 grand takes this house. I need it sold. I need it gone. So hit me up, Steve at stevebuyshousesfast.com. If you are not already on my email list, you need to take some action there too and sign up at 313cashdeals.com. What about pirate treasure? Will you take pirate treasure? I like pirate's treasure. Pirate's or movie. firstborn, maybe? Second Reading born. and writing Sometimes already. the first one you guys make all the mistakes on. I'll I say, see. Okay, that's a good point. The second born, you keep the first one. You trade Steve the second one. Must read, trade write. <laughs> can get contracts. We'll take it. Must know how to write yellow letters. He's hired. So uh, that's that's property number one for deals. Number two, and this is brand spanking new, literally just signed the contract this morning. This is 15514 Burwood, B-I-R-W-O-O-D in uh, Detroit, 48238. This is a three-bed, one-bath brick bungalow. This is your typical um, cookie-cutter brick bungalow. Um, you got your upstairs finished finished up you got two bedrooms down the bathroom down full basement uh garage and again 19,500 i want to double check something here real quick as i said full basement now i'm questioning if there is a basement or not but but anyway this is a a, a nice house it's uh it does need some work but it's got hardwood floors you know you do the floors you do the paint you get your tenants in there you're looking at probably 800 a month um in in, in rent on a property like this so this is uh, again. It's one five five one four Burwood, B I R W O O D. That way you're not putting B U R whatever. It's just yes, B I. So and it is again. It is in Detroit, and the zip code on that is four eight two three eight. And if you bear with me, uno momento, I'm pulling up to make sure. Do 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 do. So this one. Um, yeah, one car detached garage. Actually, I don't think there's a basement. So for now, I'm going to say there's no basement. I kind of think there is. How many houses in this part of Detroit don't have basements? If it's brick, it'd be extremely unlikely that yeah. it didn't. Have, especially if it wasn't a ranch, and it's not. Yeah. So I, I, I just, it's brand new. So bear with me. Google it. Look it up. Fucking drive by. I don't give a shit. Find out. One, if five, you're on five, the one, list, four. you're gonna know. You're you're gonna know. Three one three cash deals. Can you do it from your mobile device? Yes, you can. What were you waiting for? It's very mobile friendly. Thank yeah. you, Adrian Dinez. So one five five one four Burwood, Detroit. That's B I R W O O D, Detroit, Michigan. Four eight two three eight. Nineteen thousand five hundred dollars takes this lovely home. So two houses under twenty grand. You can buy two properties for me that will make you money. It'll actually pay you to own these properties for less than you probably paid for your car. Come on, son. Come on, son. Boom. Less than 40 grand. And you can own two brick homes in Detroit that will make you a ton of money. You were going to spend twice that on your ungrateful child's education that they're never going to use anyway. So twice that in one year. Maybe. How about you take that and <laughs> yes. invest it wisely? That's right. And let those <coughs> houses pay for your child's education, which 40 grand, if they're going to a decent school in, in even in this state, Michigan, Michigan state, Western central, that shit's like 30, 40 grand a year. Now, even Saginaw Valley four years ago was like, 25 grand a year so it's like eleven thousand something for one semester yes i know because i did it so um do it man take some action steve at stevebuyshousesfast.com if you're not on that list you will see this with all the details and all their beautiful pictures 313cashdeals.com and uh that's it for deals this week that's all i've got for you right now everybody else thank you um 
uh, podcast listeners have stepped up and bought properties. Um, my list has stepped up and bought properties. The MLS stepped up and bought properties. So the, after the first of the year here, all of my inventory has been cleared out. So we, uh, you guys need to pay attention and, and act quickly because at this rate, deals that I get will not last very long. <clears throat> and you want deals, don't you? Snooze, you lose. That's right. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening. That's why you are in, interested in real estate investing. It's because you want to do deals. So that's what we do. I do deals. You do. You want to do deals? You you know how to get a hold of me, Steve at stevebuyshousesfast.com. What is working and what's not? What's working uh, is knowing my numbers. And I've talked about this before. I'm going to go through my 2016, some of my 2016 numbers off of my uh, analytics spreadsheet that I keep. Now, I won't would not be able to have these numbers and these analytics without a CRM. So the step one, if you're if you're way in the beginning of this game and you're still learning and you don't really have a system in place and all that, step one is to find a CRM that you like that works for you and start using it. It doesn't matter if it's Zoho slash Godfather CRM, which I recommend. It doesn't matter if it's Podio or FreedomSoft or RealFlow or InvestorFuse or Act. Yes, I've used fucking Act way back in the day, if you remember what Act was. Yeah, it's pretty hardcore right there. So, and customizing, that was a fucking blast, let me tell you. Would you say it was an act of desperation? Oh, <laughs> what is it with these puns? I can't escape the puns. Robotics <laughs> is full of puns. You just have no idea. I hear it every day. Oh, my God. That's actually, it's funny. It's fun. But, uh, yeah, Act was, was just terrible. Uh, but I literally used every CRM that I could find between early 2006, and even Excel spreadsheets and paper files and folders and shit, up through currently 2017 when I'm use, still using Zoho CRM. So step one is if you want to have metrics like these and numbers like this, uh, you need to you need to have and use a CRM. Um, the Numbers that I'm going to go over quickly here. The first one is the cost per lead. So this is the amount of money that I have to spend for each lead on average that comes into the system. Um, these numbers, by the way, are not going to be perfect because there are some leads that would come in that I would classify as not really as a lead. It was a phone call. So in 2017, one of the things I'm focusing on is filtering out those phone calls from true leads. A phone call would be another wholesaler who hits my website and goes to the website and fills out the form or calls in uh, a, a buyer who goes to my seller's website for whatever reason and does the same thing or salespeople trying to sell me, you know, hand animated drawings and whatever other shit I get literally every day something. So clearing out those leads, I did an okay job at it last year, but certainly not good enough. And also those people that say, take me off the list. We don't want to count those in our, in our numbers and our metrics um, for, for planning and, and our, our budgeting, our marketing, because they're just people that want, they're only calling to tell you to remove them. So you don't want to use their numbers in your metrics, right? Absolutely. And quite frankly, it's never going to be perfect because I don't know anybody perfect and it's better than nothing. So even if you have something in place that isn't that great, it, just track and do the best you can. And then, like Steve said, improve every year, right? So if you improve every year and you keep tracking every year, you're going to get an accurate number. But it's better to have some sort of idea than uh, no idea at all. And that twenty five ninety five cost per lead, that's 
what you put out to get the leads to call yep. in or go to the website or yep. however they they choose to give out their information, right? Yep. So if you're getting, say, 100 leads per month, it's costing you in marketing dollars. Um, and, and this is pretty much only marketing dollars and phone answering dollars. So this isn't going to take into account any of your other expenses. But about $2,500 per month to get 100 leads is what my numbers are saying. So yeah, for every 25 bucks I spend, I get one person to call and say, yes, I'm interested in selling my house. <clears throat> Excuse me. So now the value of that lead, what that means is for each person that calls in that I spend $25 to acquire, each one of those people is worth $231.48. Um. So what does that tell me? That tells me that it's almost worth 10 times what I spend. What I bring in per lead is worth about 10 times what we spend. And this has been true since the beginning for me. Almost it's been between 8 and 12%, pretty much all it's consistent. So that's good. And that's something that you can easily use to schedule and budget your marketing plan um, for the month, month to month and annually. Um, my response right now, this one is a little bit skewed. And the reason I say that is because there are, there were some months where only a handful of hundred postcards went out, maybe 400 postcards. There was a few times throughout the year where the postcard and the direct mail portion of this marketing budget was very, very low. And the response rate is really only calculating based on the number of postcards we sent versus the number of leads we got that month. So there was a one month that it was 40% and one month that it was, I was like 43% one month was like 32%. Clearly 30% of the people I mailed to aren't calling. So a lot of that was offset by the website leads that are counted in my overall lead count. So it's going to skew that number a little bit, but for the year it was on average 11% response. So for based on the number of mail pieces I sent out and my website consistently being, um, well, active and live and there and, and ready and for people to click on, um, 11% of people responded, just means raised their hand and said, yeah, I'm interested um, in selling my house, maybe. From there, the conversion rate, now the conversion rate is what the number of leads come in versus the ones we convert to a contract. I have a, there's another number that is to the actual closed deals. And I forgot to pull that one, but it's slightly lower than this because I think it was 72% of the contracts we got closed and they were, some of them, we canceled title issues. Some of them, uh, the seller canceled and some of them just expired. We just, we offered too much essentially is what happened. So my conversion rate for the year, these are all for the entire year, the average of the whole year, looking back, it was 5.79, which that's A pretty, pretty damn good. Because you remember last year, the goal going in was four or actually 5%. 4% is one out of, uh, 4% per, 4 is one out of 25 leads converts. So 5.79% is much better than that. And your revenue increases substantially based off of that conversion rate. If you're able to take the same number of leads and convert 1% better, your income doesn't go up 1%. It goes up a whole lot more than 1%. Um, the company that I used to use for this metric 
changed. So what I'll do is I'll try to find a link that's still active and works and post it in the show notes. This is for that TAS group. Um, it's a sales um, velocity calculator. And when you change your conversion rate from 4 to 5% uh, using 100 leads a month and an average of, I think, 5000 a deal, your revenue for the year went from 250000 to 350000 so, I mean, it increases it substantially. So these are all numbers that you really want to pay attention to. Um, our conversion rate, again, was 5.79%. Now, you know what that reminds me of? I hate to interrupt, but I just have to do it. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Oh, yeah. The leads are weak. Yep. Fuck you, you're weak. Yep. Guy don't walk across a lot lest he want to buy. Absolutely. If you increase your conversion rate with the same number of leads, you're going to make more money, right? Yep, absolutely. Yep. Everyone's going to be served better. Your leads are going to be served better because you're – you're taking them from their pain to their pleasure, which is the solution of getting them to sign a contract and selling their house, actually closing on their house. So that means in the last year, I'm not sure, but I remember it was well, at least when I was a year and a half ago. No, year, I don't know, whatever. It went up over 25%. You close your, your conversion rate increased 25%, right? Because yep. you go from what was it last year? I think it was like 3.9 or something like that. 15. The conversion rate was 3.67. And in 2016, it was 5.79. That is a huge increase. Well, that's a skill. That's basically you increased your skill. Yeah. And I incre- increased the help um, as well. So yeah. I brought in pe- more people to help do that. Now, two things looking at 2015 versus 2016 that were much different. 2015, I had 2,000. 321 leads, 2,300 leads came through my system in 2015 in 2016, 1260 leads. So we, we worked half of the leads we had for better results because we made actually as a gross income, we made 10,000 more, $14,000 more in 2016 than we did in 2015. However, we did it using half of the leads we increased our conversion rate substantially, and I didn't track this next number uh, last year, but I tracked it uh, in 2016, and that is inspection conversion rate. And what that number means is uh, the number of inspections that you go on, the number of houses that you physically go and look at and make an offer on and that you convert. So I didn't track that number last year, um, and what I tracked this year, it ended up being... Now that number for me is right around that 40% for the rest of my team. It's generally around 25 to 30%. So I had a couple of really good months and um, the team has upped their uh, conversion rate as well as they've learned and grown and gotten better at, you know, at this game, which is, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. It takes years and years and years to get from 25% to 40%. Uh, one other thing too is there is a couple of issues with the, these numbers too because the inspections are only tracked when certain steps in the CRM are taken. What I mean by that is when we have a process and a system for the entire business from A to Z, right? So when an inspection is booked with the seller, one event happens and it gets scheduled. When the inspection takes place, another event happens. The property inspector or the sales acquisitions person goes out and fills out an inspection report. 
if that report is not received, that inspection did not happen as far as the numbers go and as far as the CRM goes. So I know that we had a few more inspections that weren't tracked on the system um, because people were new. They didn't understand what they, what their job was necessarily exactly. So those didn't get happen. Those didn't happen, but we're talking, you know, one or two or maybe five out of 200, 179 were done last year. Um, so an average of 15 a month. So <clears throat> one more number um, that I want to go over and that is the cost to close a deal. I don't know the best way to explain this other than it basically uh, is going to cost you this much to get to the closing table. Now, what that means is it's your your marketing dollars are mixed in there, your inspection uh, dollars that you spend sending out individual inspectors out to look at the house is going to be factored in there. Um, some of the overhead and things like that are factored in there. So last year, 2015, I should say, um, my cost to close a deal was 675 bucks. And in 2016, that number was almost double, $1,089.17. So almost $1,100 bucks versus $675 bucks the year before. So what do these numbers tell me? What they tell me is from 2015 to 16, me as an investor, my team as a whole got better at converting, right? We increased our average spread from, I think it was 4,500 up to 6,100, which is huge. One of the main focuses of last year was increasing the conversion rate and increasing the average profit. Both of those things happened. And it also tells me that there was way more competition in 2016 than there was in 2015. And that doesn't just mean other wholesalers or other investors, I'm also competing with homeowners, especially when you're dealing with um, probates and and other properties that people want to list on the MLS. Um, the, the market being much better and much hotter decreases the amount of homes that we have available to wholesale because if someone can list their house on the MLS, sell it and close it within 30 to 45 days, why are they going to sell it for substantially less to a wholesaler? They don't need to, so they aren't, and the numbers show that. However, the numbers also show that the ones that do need to follow this process or the ones that are needing our service as wholesalers are converted. We're converting them better and we're converting them for higher profits. So, which we like profit, especially when money. it's higher. We love profit. We love higher profit. And we really want, see what I did there. Uh, <laughs> we really want to continue to watch these numbers. And so, um, as part of one of the mastermind groups that I'm in, I have this spreadsheet and, you know, I, I used to do my own and it's sometimes someone else's, um, tools that someone's just better at some things than I am. Right. Sometimes Excel is not my thing. I'm not a math whiz. I'm not great at Excel. The one I built out was very similar to this. This one's way cooler. And the new version's even cooler because it's got an ROI calculator on it too. So I can calculate exactly how, I mean, it sh it'll just show me and spit it out versus me saying, oh, it was, you know, 10 times. It'll tell me what the percentage was um, return on not only my monthly numbers, but also my individual campaigns. So my mail campaigns that I'm using in Zoho, I can track you know, how much money do we make from that particular campaign? Does it make sense to continue this campaign into 2017 or should we drop it? So 
there are several of them that, and we went through some of those uh, a few weeks ago on the podcast as well. So, by the way, I love this shit. This is like geeking out hardcore, and I love it. I hope you guys realize what Steve's sharing with you here. If you go and you take and you implement this in your business, or if you're considering a business like this, this is some real shit, you know. Yeah, the numbers. I I, I love these numbers. This is something that I've always saw the importance of, and never had either the tools or the team to get me the data that I needed. So I love to analyze those numbers. I don't always like to compile them. And it was very difficult, especially when you're, you're trying to do that over what I do have done the last year instead of what I'm doing month to month. So I update my spreadsheet literally every week sometimes, but especially every single month at the end of the month, actually the first of the month, uh, the following month, I'm filling out my previous month numbers to see how many leads I got, um, how much I spent on marketing, how many inspections we did. And then the spreadsheet kind of automatically calculates some of those other figures for me. So, but I love this stuff. It, it, you're not going to, um, you're not going to be able to make adjustments in your business if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, if you don't know where you've been, and, and how you got there, how are you going to plot your course to your next location? You just, you can't, you're flying blind. So it's very, very important. Again, if you don't have a CRM, uh, you should get one. You can go to, actually, you can go to propertymob.com slash flip this and sign up for Godfather, which is essentially the same exact system I use. I just use an older version of it. She branded it in her own way, uh, her being Tracy Kaywood. And she, it's phenomenal. I mean, Jeremy, it's you, great. you use great. Godfather. Yeah. So. I'm barely using it. I'm not using it like you do, but right. I, it's simple. Yep. It's direct. It's actionable. Mm-hmm. If you use it even half the way you're supposed to, you know what you need to do. Yep. And all you need to do is do it. Yep. So. And you, again, you... It's as powerful as you you need it to be. You can use it simply for a that contact so yeah. management system where you're only just tracking your leads and you're making sure you call them and you're checking a little box that says you call them and you're putting in notes so you remember for later. But it's also way, 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 way more than that. If you choose it to be, you can track all of your mailing campaigns. You can do all of your follow-ups. You can automate your entire business in that software. And it's, it's amazing. So again, propertymob.com slash flip this, um, sign up and, uh, you know, tell her I sent you, it's a pretty, a pretty awesome system. Again, I've used it since 2013, uh, the version I have, and I tried to swap over to Godfather when the shift was originally made. Um, and it was too complicated for me to transfer everything over there. I had all of the same capabilities, so I decided to just stay. I I started it though, and even hired Tracy's um, one of Tracy's tech guys to, you know, import all my data over. And we spent I think he spent twelve hours doing it, and it just wasn't working right. So we scrapped it, went back to this. It, it's this is one of those if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of things, and it, it works great for me. Um, sure, there are things I don't like about Zoho, um, the phone app being one of them, but. It works. It still works. It's just not as good as it could be. It's not as good as the web app. And it's not as pretty as maybe a Podio is. I don't have any experience with RealFlow or uh, FreedomSoft's mobile portion. When I used the both of those, the mobile shift wasn't quite where it is now. It was, you know, four or five years ago. But, um, you know, I still know people that use all of those systems. Every single one of those will work if you work it. You just need to use it for, you know, you just have to find what works best for you. But the key to that is get a CRM so that you can track 
your information and your numbers. And even if you only do one deal a month, it's still, all of this is still important. If you're only servicing 20 to 30 leads a month, where do you think I started at? How do you think I got from 30 to 300 leads in a month? Not from using file folders and and a Google doc. That's for sure. So track your shit. That's the, that's the key. Um, Moving on. To the stories. This one is quite interesting. This is a good one. This is a good one. Last week's story reminded me of this one. So I wanted to make sure I told it this week. Were you triggered? I was triggered. This is, uh, (laughs) I I guess we call it, well, I guess I won't use his real name, but uh, Dom the meth addict. That's what I was going to go with. So the story behind this one. So we got a lead. This was a a mailing in Redford. The seller called in actually multiple times. Uh, He was an older guy in his probably... 80s i think at the time and the old man is who called in and my old uh, uh administrative assistant stephanie is who took that call booked an appointment for us jeremy and i both went out to these houses this was they had four houses that he owned three in redford um that he wanted to sell three in redford one in detroit that was a duplex uh, on the right on the border of Redford and then his personal home in Livonia, which he didn't really want to sell, but he also owned that one. So we made offers on all four. We went out and looked at them. The grandson is who showed us the houses. Um, we went and looked at them, took photos. We did all of our due diligence, made our offers. And then um, I think we made offers to him. We did. And then he went back and talked to his grandfather and his grandfather actually rejected two of them. And negotiated a little bit around the other two, and we ended up getting them under contract. Now, this is before uh, this guy clearly didn't have email. You know, a guy in his I shouldn't say clearly, but uh, he didn't have email. And the best practice for us was get out there, get it signed. So I think we booked an appointment for the next day or two days later to go out, go to his house, and sign the contracts. Old school, old school. Yeah. So Jeremy and I go to Mister Old Man's house, and we. Um, we're sitting at his kitchen table and I'm still in sales. I'm trying to get those other two deals and he won't do it. And we're talking about, he owned some car washes. He owned an apartment building. That's right. He owned an apartment building in garden city as well, or a house in garden city. So there was actually five houses and we offered on all of them and he only accepted, or there were six houses. He only accepted two. So we get to it. We actually, we agree. Um, seller uh, signs both contracts right there. Jeremy has a picture of him signing because that was one of the things that we just did as a credibility type of thing and as a marketing thing. Uh, we took pictures of people signing contracts and, and stuff. Well, so, we had a few people say they didn't sign it, and all that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this was one of the this was one of those people that said, "Well, he didn't sign it. He didn't know what he was signing." So during this process, I, nothing really seemed off to me. One thing that I noticed was that the grandson was a little rude to the grandfather. But outside of that, I didn't think much of it. Um, I certainly didn't think that the guy wasn't there mentally, not at all. I mean, we, we had conversations about businesses and about, you know, rental properties and fixing houses up and owning a car wash and all this stuff. And the guy was still there. Like maybe, he, maybe he did have issues and it just, I'm not a doctor clearly, but uh, I don't know. Steve says you're fine. Sign. Yeah, you're fine. Walk away. Um, walk it off. So. But, you know, I'm not someone who's going to take advantage of someone in that situation. If I sense that he wasn't there mentally, I'm not going to sign a contract because I know that can get unwound later. And I really like to sleep at night. And that's not something I'd be able to sleep. It's not well good with. to take advantage of people it's who not don't good know karma. what they're doing. Yeah. No. So 
So we locked the properties up. One of them's tenant occupied. One of them was vacant. The vacant one actually sold fairly quickly to Jesse. It was in Redford. He still asked about that house too. He's like, man, I missed that. I wish that Jennifer one would have worked out. Mm. So um, the property was a brick ranch. Number was good for him. It was in, and this time it was in the low fifties. I think his price was 58. We were at 52 or something like that. We were going to make six grand or so. And Jesse would have got in a great deal at a great, at a great house. That house that was now house. is probably worth 80 grand. Like, as is, it probably would sell for 75 or 80. In fact, it, it did. Um, and we'll get to that in a minute. But um, so we're, we're actively marketing these houses. And then the other property, which was a house on Columbia, a frame house, uh, was rented. And the tenant was interesting, to say the least. Now, she caused some issues with showings. It was not easy to show with her there. Um, she... Just her attitude in general was kind of shitty. Um, she wanted to stay, and we were assuring her that she was going to be able to stay. That was her biggest concern, I think, it was that she was going to be able to stay. Now, the other thing, when I showed a buyer, this happened to be the same buyer from the closing room rumble. Yeah, that douchebag. And this was actually before that. This happened prior to the closing room rumble. Several event. months, I think. Several like two or three months, months yeah. or something like that. But I, at the closing room thing, I remembered him. Like when I reckon, I saw the name, I'm like, mm, I know that guy. And then when I saw him, I was like, oh, shit, it is him. Um, he looked at the house. Now, I listed this house because we couldn't sell it. Our list wasn't buying this one. So we listed it. I've had, I had several offers. I, he had an offer that he agreed, we agreed to. He came out to do his walkthrough. And because I said something along the lines of tell the tenant, you're like, you're, you're an inspector, you're coming to check the house out, whatever. I wasn't going to be able to be there. Um, and it was a uh, touchy situation. So he didn't like that, which I do understand. I've sort of shifted that now to be, you're either an insurance guy. If the, if the tenant or the seller insists that you tell them that, or you're just doing an inspection on the house, just, Nobody needs to know anything more than that. I just need to come into the house, look at it, and take some pictures. That's all I know. Um, when there's tenants and people that the seller doesn't necessarily want to know they're selling the house just yet. So he comes and looks at it. There's drama and issues around that whole nonsense. I tell him flat out what's going on. I tell the tenant what's going on. So they're all on the same page. Buyer leaves. He's not happy. He's not going to buy the house. It's fine. I had other offers. I was ready to go. But crazy tenant blames my buyer for stealing something out of the house. Like, like what? Was is an iPad or something missing or something? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, is your cell phone missing? No, no. Oh, that gold watch that was on the table? No, no. It was like a Spartan beanie baby. Now, first of all, anybody that wants to steal something that's Michigan State related, <laughs> Good luck. Take care. <laughs> All my Spartan friends are like, fuck you. We beat you 12 years in a row. Fuck off. But uh, seriously, though, it was a fucking beanie baby. And I don't care if it was Michigan or Michigan State or fucking UFC or whatever beanie baby. It's a fucking beanie baby. They're not worth anything. Even if it was 20 years ago, they're not worth anything. Maybe $25. I really don't think my buyer that was coming to look at this house and pay 50000 was trying to steal your $20 doll. So shut up, crazy lady. And how about you just 
step aside and let us do our job. So she kind of ruined that whole nonsense. This is one of the reasons I hate tenant occupied properties because you don't know what kind of crazy you're inheriting. You're just getting what if you're, if that landlord that you're buying the house from was a first with the check type of landlord, whoever writes me a check the soonest gets to move in. You're probably not going to want that tenant. So unfortunately I don't get to pick them all the time. I just deal with the situation that I'm dealt. Well, moving on, we, we've shown the house. I've got buyers. We're ready to go. And then auntie of Mr. Dom, the meth addict calls angry, super angry, like yelling at me. First of all, and this is, so this is the daughter of the old man seller, someone who I've never spoken to. I've never didn't know existed, knew nothing about I'm dealing with directly with the owner of this property. So I'm thinking everything's cool. Oh, no, 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 friends. It was not cool. She bitched and yelled and screamed at me. And you know me, I <laughs> I can handle that stuff really well, right? When people yell at me and scream at me, I just, I'm cool and calm, right? And not really, not really. <laughs> so what did Steve do? Steve went into Savage Steve. Hashtag Savage Steve came out. And went off and pretty much told her she can take her she was saying, I'm going to get a lawyer and blah, blah, blah. And I was, we had a picture of him signing. I had contracts signed that were still, still valid. Like these weren't expired. These weren't too long. And I'm trying to salvage the deal. These were, I can close tomorrow if you stop, you know, causing these issues. And uh, she didn't like it because she was, she wasn't in control of it. So apparently these, um, these properties were not in a trust at the time, but there was a trust in existence and some of his properties were held in a trust. And also subsequent to us signing the contracts after we signed these contracts, Mr. Old man seller was, um, uh, was deemed incompetent or mentally, not mentally competent to make those kinds of decisions. And so the, the lawyer that was involved here, reached out. I called him. I actually physically went to his office, met with him and explained to him my position, my contracts. I showed him my contracts. I gave him a picture of him signing the contract. And I also sent to fuck you Davids, which for his purposes was an affidavit of claim of interest, meaning fuck you pay me. So miss aunt, when she first called, I told her, Look, I've got these properties under contract. I'm ready to close right now. If you insist on keeping me in the family or whatever, I'll release my interest for five grand a piece because that's what I'm going to make. Actually, no, I take that back. Five grand total, I think I said. I think I said five grand total because I was going to make five grand each. I'm leaving money on the table. I'm kind of doing the right thing here by you. You got, you pay me 5,000. I'll release my liens. You can go ahead and close. Well, Fast forward several months, I have another conversation with the attorney and I say, they call me and I say, no, I'm not releasing my, my liens. Um, I will release them for 5,000 once. I think the first time I did say 5,000 each, then I lowered it to 5,000. I said, at this point, the only one that probably would have closed was Jennifer. We would have made five grand on it. You pay me five grand, I'll release the liens. Auntie didn't want to do that. Auntie wanted to fight. So 
I probably could have and should have made her fight harder. But once I got notice of appearance for court, for the probate court, so it wasn't exactly a lawsuit, but it was at the probate court. Um, the time frame that that came through was not good financially. I think it was last spring. And if you remember the conversation from the numbers from last year, January, good, February, bad, March, good, April, bad. And that was the beginning of my year last year. This fell in one of those times where it was not worth it for me to fight. It just didn't make sense for me to fight it. I still believe I'm right. I believe I could have won, would have won. Mm, that's that's a tough one. It, it would have been close. Um, it would have been contested. I would have spent more money, um, much more than I've already spent. So at that point, I had probably had a couple hundred bucks in the deal, right? Gas driving there two or three times, gas driving to meet the attorney, the filing fees for the documents, you know, my time and that stuff, maybe 500 bucks in actual expenditures, right? Getting an attorney and filing an answer to this and showing up in court is instantly going to double, triple that. So I had to look at the risk versus the reward. And is it worth spending money that currently I didn't have to get something I may or may not win? The answer ultimately was no. So what I ended up doing was, making them drag it out a little bit longer, trying one more time for a Hail Mary. They said no. And I just finally said to the attorney, you know what? I don't have the patience or the energy to fight this right now. Uh, I don't want that karma um, of, or, or news, you know, if, if God forbid this lady called the hall of shame or some, you know, shit like that, <laughs> shit like that, which I totally could see her doing. She was completely that type. Um, the place I was at at the time, I, I just didn't, couldn't do it. Fast forward to today, and I probably would be at the courthouse fighting this. I'd probably be pushing a little bit harder because I can. I'd be, I was in a little bit better position than I was then, and my attitude has shifted a little bit more towards, fuck you, pay me. That's you know what exactly I mean? I did all this work. Yeah. I did all that effort. I did my part. We were ready, willing, and able to buy this property. I could have closed on both of those Instantly, I had a private lender ready to fund both of those deals if I had to close, but it just wasn't worth it. So now what, what happened was I ended up go ahead and signing the releases, uh, having those notarized, which I, I spent another 10 bucks on and then sending them back to the attorney. So essentially I just walked away and gave up. Now you didn't file them, right? You made the attorney file them. Oh yeah. I made the attorney file. Yeah, them. Good. Yeah. Fuck you attorney. Yeah. No. You go down the way and count. I'm not doing the money. So I mailed them, and, and and they wanted multiple originals. I mailed them one original, one for each property. You don't need multiple. What do you want? Three copies of each one, the original. No, fuck you. I bought one, one original it. and two bowls of dicks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one original, and you copy that shit, yeah. motherfucker. So I let it go. Um, moral of the story, I guess, is you know sometimes it's not worth it to fight other times it is. You remember the one arm bandit story? That was one that was worth it to fight because it didn't end up in court. It oh, didn't a end lying, up in battle. cheating, drunk piece of shit. Yes. Yeah. In this case, you know, public opinion. Now, granted, he was disabled. He had one arm. He he could have had a down on his luck type of story. His sister passed away and left him the house. All that kind of stuff was still there. Hold on, I'm I'm, I'm trying not to cry. <laughs> but the story of you know this old man versus him. I could definitely see the shift in the media spin that they could put on this. And I did not need that a, the bad karma and vibes from the universe and b the bad publicity. 
Um, it's just not something I want to deal with ever. So those people, no matter if you say nothing, you know, the hall of shame guy sticks a microphone in your face and you say nothing, you look bad and guilty. If you say something, they typically pick out the worst or what fits their narrative the best to play. So it was a lose, lose situation. So I just tried to avoid that whole thing altogether by gracefully walking away. Plus she hired a lawyer and she spent a significant amount of money. She spent a couple grand easily to do what she's done. Now, granted, for her, it was worth it because the 52000 or whatever I was paying, they ended up getting 70-something thousand for it, like 77000 I think, on a mortgage buyer. So as is with a mortgage, I think they did do a little bit of the work to the house. The roof was the big one. The roof had to be replaced on yeah, Jennifer. That was the that big one. deal. Yeah. That was part of the deal. He was supposed to actually fix the roof. That was part of why the deal didn't close when it was supposed to close because – the grandson was going to fix the roof. That's why we came up to 52,000 or whatever it was. I just remember that. And he was a, I don't know if he was a roofer or what, but he could do the roof and he was supposed to do the yeah, roof. Yeah, but he was with a fucking meth head. Yeah. Which was pretty obvious from. Yeah, you called that immediately. Yeah. Was like, this guy's a tweaker. Yeah. I was like, huh? I, had, I don't think I'd watched all of Breaking Bad yet at that point. So <laughs> I wasn't familiar with this. But You know, I come I from know. a long family of uh, worthless drug addicts and alcoholics <laughs> and uh, general deviants. I could pick them out a mile away. Yeah. Well, that is going to do it, my friends. The last thing I will leave you with, and I already mentioned it, is the wholesale tip of the week is track your shit. Track your numbers. Know your numbers. Know what you're doing. It doesn't matter what area of your business or of your life that we're talking about. Track shit. And we've mentioned this before, too. If you're trying to lose weight, where are you at now? Where are you trying to get to? And how the fuck do you get there? You got to know where you are now first, right? And then you got to know what your goal is. And then every day, track where your progress is. If you don't know what your progress is, how do you know if you have even hit your goal? Same thing with uh, your business. If you have a goal of you want to generate a hundred leads a month. You need to consistently take actions that are going to get you there, but you also need to track your numbers to figure out how you can backdoor your way into that. Now, my numbers are $25 per lead. I need to spend about 2,500 bucks to get a hundred leads a month. If I want to double that, what do I got to do? I got to spend double the money. So I got to spend 50 bucks per lead or 5,000 a month to get 200 leads a month. And that's why you need to track your shit. All right, folks. Why? Why haven't you already? 313cashdeals.com. I know. I love pitching the deals. I love talking about deals. Steve does too. But this is not the first place to hear about the deal. Of course, the first place to hear about the deal is buy tons of shit and get that text from Steve or that call from Steve going, hey, I got a sweet one for you. But the next best thing, if you're not that person, is go to 313cashdeals.com. Put in your email address, and if you see an email from it, uh, just buy everything full price, all right? Just, just uh, do it. Yeah, just do the whole thing, and do the whole uh, purchase price for the EMD. Make Steve's like, no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, put your you don't want to miss these deals. You're, what are you listening to this for? Because you want to do deals, and you want to make money. I go to stevebuyshousesfast.com. Got a house you want to sell. You just want to check it out, see other things. And if you just love Steve, Go to clickso.com, C-L-Y-X-O.com forward slash S Londo. So I'll be in the show notes. And that's for everything, Steve. So also, if you haven't yet already, this is something you need to do. You need to go onto iTunes. No matter where you're listening to this, go on iTunes. Go up to where it says rate and review on iTunes on your phone. Now, sometimes it's a little tricky. 
because where they play the podcast and where you do the iTunes is different. You need to actually look it up in the iTunes store. I'm sorry. Apple did this, not me, man. And then click reviews and then rate and review. And so we know what show it is. Use hashtag Savage Steve or, or hashtag Flip This Podcast or something and rate and review. This is how we grow the podcast. And you're listening to this for free. Steve, how much do you pay to be part of that mastermind group that shows you all those numbers and everything else like that? A Thousands. year. Yeah. And he just gave it to you for free. So how oh, about shit. you rate and review? Actually, my PayPal is S. <laughs> he will take cash if you don't want to rate and review. So you have a choice here. Rate and review. Use hashtag flip this podcast and or hashtag Savage Steve or whatever creative combo you want. Maybe we'll mention the best one on the podcast if you do that. And that, that tells Steve this is worth his time. And thank you. You know, that's that's how you do it. Also, share the podcast. And Tony, you do that. That's awesome. For everybody I don't see share, because I try and thank everybody, and so does Steve. Thank you for sharing the podcast. All right. We really appreciate your time, too. We know you can be doing something else right now. Until the next podcast. See you.